You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. As you grab that Bible or your, uh, your digital Bible there, you can flip over to uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be looking at chapter 13 today. We're going to be looking at one verse and then uh, from there going off into other verses as well. Um, we have uh, two more Sundays left in our series on the church, uh, the series that we're calling Assembled for God's Glory. Uh, as a church, we're, we're rolling out what meaningful membership looks like, and so we've been wanting to study God's Word to help us understand what the church is so that we know what we're committing to as members of the church. And so up to this point, over the last month, we've been learning that the church abides in Christ together. The church connects in Christ together. The church shares in Christ together. And last weekend, we focused our hearts on this incredible reality of of being a part of the body of Christ, that it is an amazing privilege. We learned that as a body, we get to spiritually thrive together. We learned that as servants of the king, we get to faithfully invest our lives in his kingdom. We learned that that we are also his hands and his feet and that we get to boldly go on mission together. We had a statement last week that was kind of driving the core of this, and it was, together as a church and in our Christian lives, when our ought becomes our get-to, then we'll ultimately want to. And when that happens, Satan better look out and the world better be ready because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to the world through us. We get to be a part of that as he builds his church. What a privilege it is to be found in what Jesus is building. And what a joy it should be to do his work. The church that Jesus is building is not a stagnant church. It's a going, working, worshiping, sacrificing church. You see on our banners, we're a worshiping church, but beyond that, we're a sending church. We don't want to be stagnant. We want to be doing his work. We don't want to just get fat heads. We want to be filled so that we're sent out uh, together. Now this morning, we're going to focus our eyes on another crucial aspect of the church, and that is that the church submits together. The church submits together. Now, when I say the word submit or obey, what are those initial feelings that rise up from your heart? What does your heart do with the idea or the concept of submission uh, to authority or obedience to authority? What does our hearts do with the thought of authority over our lives? Is, Is authority something that is readily welcomed Or is it quickly rejected in our hearts? As you look at your own life, examine what role is authority and submission playing in my life right now? And what does that have to do with the study of being the church? Submission, obedience, authority. It's in God's word. The church submits together. And we're looking at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17. Hebrews Chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, 
as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us. We thank you that we are the redeemed, those who you have called out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, we rejoice this morning as we just sung that you are our king, that you have given us a new name. We are children of the living God. We are those who are covered in your righteousness by your grace, by what you have done, not by what we have done. And Lord, because of that, we get to worship you on this Lord's Day. We get to gather as your people. We get to be a part of your body. And as we get to be a part of your body, we look at your word and we see that there's instructions for us. We see that there is, there is indicatives out there that tell us who you are, who we are in, inside of you, and that we stand uh, in your righteousness and we stand redeemed, and yet you still call us to obedience. And to obey you is to love you. And Lord, we pray this morning that uh, even as our hearts, as we, as we even hear those words, obey and submit, our hearts want to rise up against that naturally. Lord, would you do a work in us? Would you produce humility that only comes through Christ Jesus, starting with me and to the rest of the body here as well? Lord, we love you. We want to hear from you this morning. And so as we open our word, would you speak to us? Would your Holy Spirit use that? And would you impress it into our hearts and use it to bring about transformation and renewal of our minds so that we can be living sacrifices of the King. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Move me aside, teach your people. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So let me see a show of hands if you have ever read the novel, Lord of the Flies written by William Golding. A pretty old novel. We read it in high school. Uh, maybe if you're a little older like myself, that would have been a part of your curriculum. I don't know if you read that book anymore in high school. But if you have read it, you'll remember that it was a tragic story about some young boys who survived a plane crash, and they ended up on this deserted island trying to survive without parents, without law, and without authority. Now, the story begins with a bunch of adolescents. They're just trying to survive on their own. But very soon, very quickly, without the oversight of their parents or the rules of governance or civilization or the authority of law, these boys ultimately end up in chaos. They end up in anarchy, tyranny, and ultimately murder. And as they begin to fight and to war with one another, the author writes this. So listen carefully. I don't have it on the screen, but listen carefully. He writes, Roger stooped. He picked up a stone, aimed and threw it at Henry, threw it to miss. The stone, that token of preposterous time, bounced five yards to Henry's right and fell in the water. Roger gathered a handful of stones and began to throw them at him. Yet there was a space around Henry, perhaps six yards in diameter, into which he dare not throw. Here, invisible yet strong, was the taboo of the old life. Round the squatting child was the protection of parents and school and policemen and law. Roger was a wild and murderous boy. 
But yet Henry in the story was still holding on to that authority and that guidance of his parents and civilization. He was protected. When it comes to authority and it comes to to leadership and submission and obedience, how does your heart respond to that? We live in a culture today that is increasingly running and railing against authority. We live in a culture today that is hyper-individualistic, autonomous, and increasingly anti-authority. Our world around us is constantly feeding us with messages of self-sufficiency, self-empowerment, and self-authority. We are the captains of our own destiny. Nobody can tell me what to do. Truth is relative. Truth is fluid. And authority is subjective. Now, sadly, that's creeping into our society more and more, and it's also creeping into the church. But brothers and sisters, as we walk together as the church of Christ, we have to reject the idea of autonomy. We have to reject self-sufficiency. We have to reject anti-authority. We have to embrace what God has designed. God has given authority. He has given leadership and structure to his church. And he's done this for our good and for his glory. And so we, as, as we look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, and other scriptures this morning, the first thing that we need to embrace as a church when it comes to authority is that authority is good. Authority is good. No matter what your heart is doing with that, it is good. And we submit together under a patterned authority. So the fact that the writer of Hebrews instructs the church to obey your leaders and submit to them should immediately reveal to us to some extent that submission and obedience for this church was perhaps a struggle. It seems that this church was struggling to follow those that God has given them as leaders. As you study the rest of the book of Hebrews, you'll see that the author keeps warning the church to stay away from some things and to be holding fast to other things. He was warning them about neglecting their faith in chapter 2. He says, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. That's chapter 2, verse 1. He warns them later about strange teachings that are leading people astray. He's warning about apostasy. He's also warning how some are neglecting to meet together as the body of Christ. And as he's warning them, he's also calling them to obedience, to hold fast to hope, and how following leadership in the church, is a key part to growing in faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 13, up in verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So we see here that leadership is God's design. But by the testimony of this church, Uh, the the book of Hebrews is writing to, some are rejecting it. Brothers and sisters, the truth is that rejection of authority is a natural and universal problem, both outside the church and inside the church. Now, if each one of us here were able to examine the deepest corners of our hearts, what we would 
surely find is a natural fleshly resistance to authority. At the very core of who we are as human beings, we naturally don't believe that authority is good because we don't like it. We don't want to be ruled. We just need to look back to the garden, Garden of Eden. God made everything and everything was good. It was pure. It was innocent. It was perfect. Adam and Eve didn't need anything. They had it all. But when it came to God exercising his rightful authority over them, they rebelled against him. They believed the suggestions of the serpent. They believed his temptations, and they rejected the truth of God. They didn't believe that they would surely die if they ate of the tree in the garden. And so they disobeyed him. They ate And James would say they give birth to sin. Death and pain and separation came into this world. Turmoil came into this world. So what we see here, friends, by and large, the world doesn't believe that authority is good. In fact, deep within each of us, we believe that hierarchy and authority are a bad thing. We don't believe naturally that it's a good thing. In fact, many today think that structure and authority are man-made institutions and that they would be better off without it, that they would be actually free if they didn't have that. But the truth of the matter is that structure, leadership, authority, and submission are good. They're really good. We need only to look at general revelation around us, looking at the universe around us to know that this is good. We need to only look at the order of the universe to see it clearly. Brothers and sisters, authority is good because God has designed it and he has implemented it. It's not a design of man, it's a design of God. Even before the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned, we see that structure and authority are revealed in the very first Four words of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Just in those four words, we see hierarchy. We see that there is one who is first, who is arche, one who begins, one who creates. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Logically, when one is first, when one begins, when one creates, the one who creates has an assumed authority, right? Let me ask you ladies who are crafty. Let's say you've got a piece of yarn and you've got a couple needles and you want to knit a sweater, right? Maybe you're making a sweater for yourself. And at every stage of knitting that sweater, you are making choices, whether to tear it out or to keep on going, right? So in those choices, as you are the creator, as you are the one who started it, who has authority over that sweater? You do. You can choose to tear it apart. You are over it. You own it, at least until you give it away. Authority is everywhere. Authority and structure are embedded into the very fabric of our universe and our society and our relationships. Why? Because God has made it that way. And the reason that he has made it that way is to reveal that authority is good. 
Because God is good. And he is authority. It reflects who God is. Just think about Adam and Eve. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Right? We are made in the likeness of God, but yet we're not God. We see that there's hierarchy. He's making us. We are his. We are not God. Further, it says, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We see here that dominion is revealing authority. Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth. They were God's image bearers. They were his representatives in his kingdom. They were made higher than the animals. And they were given the role of ruling over the animals and over the earth. Dominion speaks of authority. We also see this further in the design structure of the family, the first family. Even though husbands and wives are created equal, like we just read, um, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Even though they're created equal, men and women have different roles. Even though the world is, is railing against this concept, we see that there is structure and there is submission and there is authority in marriage that does not disturb the fact that we are created equal. Man is to lovingly sacrifice himself for his wife and lead her. The wife is created as a helper who willingly submits to his leadership. And then as we looked at Adam and Eve, they were commanded to be fruitful and to multiply. multiply. They were to start a family. Again, we see authority and submission at the very core of what it means to be a family. When you look at the New Testament and other places, Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's good. And then in, as our relationships within our families and our marriages are all around us and we're involved in all that, they're all meant to point us to God. There's, there's structure and there's roles. We also see that within the Godhead, within the Trinity, right? Structure and submission. The Holy Spirit submits to the Father and the Son, and the Son submits to the Father, yet they are equally God. One God. Three persons. Obedience and authority are right. They are good. Now, as a pastoral comment here, I also want to acknowledge that authority and submission have been abused by many and in many different ways. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. You've experienced the, the fallout of fallen authority. Maybe you've experienced the pain of being under someone else's authority, maybe in your family, maybe in your marriage, in a relationship, maybe even in the church. This is not what God intended. These are sinful abuses of authority. And what happens is, is sometimes we, we experience this and this causes us to paint authority as evil. But we need to know that authority is not the issue. Sin is the issue. Sin is the problem. Authority and submission according to God is good and it is right. And we see through all of these institutions, relationships, 
That authority and submission is everywhere. We see it in the animal world. Just think of packs of wolves. Uh, Think about our families. Think about marriages. Think about business. Think about the military. Think about government. And then even within the Godhead, as our standard authority is good. So without authority, we would have chaos. Just like the Lord of the Flies. A bunch of kids on an island trying to figure it out all on their own with no leadership, no structure, no authority. It would be anarchy. Authority is good. And so we submit together, as revealed just in general revelation, we submit in a patterned authority. And so with that as a kind of a starting line here this morning, as revealed in general revelation, we must embrace that together as a church. All of these things are meant to point us to one who is the authority over our lives. Secondly, we need to understand that authority is God's. We submit together under divine authority. Authority is the Lord's. Hebrew 13 continues to tell us that we are to obey our leaders and to submit to them. And the writer of Hebrews qualifies this with the ultimate purpose of submitting to them. He says that we submit and obey because why? Because they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. This is key to understanding why we submit, why we obey. Our leaders are accountable. Accountable to who? They'll have to give an account to God. As pastors and as elders care for your souls, as they shepherd you, as they teach you, as they watch over you, they're not just accountable to themselves or to each other. They're accountable to the highest authority. As Jesus is the head of the body, leaders who help lead the body are accountable to the head, Jesus Christ. This is one of the most sobering texts for any pastor, any elder, any overseer, that we're not just responsible for ourselves, not even just our families. We are answerable to the Lord regarding you. Just like last week, as the servants were accountable for what they did with their talents, shepherds are responsible for how they tend to their flock. We're responsible for how we spiritually lead you. We're responsible for how we keep watch over your soul. Now we're going to talk more about spiritual leadership and structure at the close of this sermon also next week as well. But what we need to see right here is that God keeps watch over your souls as your leaders watch over your soul and we are held accountable to that. And so the church submits and obeys to their leaders so that they will ultimately submit and obey God. Authority doesn't stop with the leaders of the church. Leaders are just a mere conduit for that submission to the glory of God. Throughout church history, and especially in recent years, spiritual leaders have corrupted the view of authority. Spiritual leaders today have often abused and tried to steal the authority that is rightfully God's. 
When leaders choose to usurp or to choose to forget who the greatest authority is, they start to think that they're the authority. They start to think that they're not accountable to anybody. They start to think that they're somebody special, that they're building the church, and that the church needs to bow the knee to them. They're believing that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of myself rather than the Lord. That's abuse of authority. This is sin. Man cannot handle the glory that is meant to be given to God. Only God can receive and handle the glory that is due his name. Only God has the role of supreme authority because it's who he is. Looking back to those very first words of Scripture, in the beginning, God. He is the only one who deserves all praise and all fame because all of this is his. He created it. He made it. He is before it, and he loves it. He loves you so much that he sent himself to die for you. The ultimate authority coming down and dying for man. Authority is God's, and it is God's alone. So we ask ourselves, are we living in light of God's authority right now? Are we readily willingly submitting and obeying the Lord? How about when it comes to the church? Are we willingly, readily submitting to the leadership of the church as I want to honor and glory the Lord? As we examine our hearts, we know that we struggle with authority. It's because we don't naturally want to be ruled, right? Again, it's the problem of all humanity. It's not for lack of evidence that, that man does not believe and obey. It's not for lack of evidence that we know God exists. It's because man does not want to be accountable to God. Man wants to go his own way. And we're going to look at that through a whole bunch of scriptures here from Romans. I put them up there. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We're suppressing the truth about God. The evidence is in. The whole world knows that God exists, but yet we suppress that truth in our unrighteousness. Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Romans 1.28, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Romans 8.7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not do what? For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Romans 10.3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. We don't want to submit to God in our flesh. We naturally do not want to fall under the authority of God. And so if you, you're wondering why your heart initially rails against the words submit and obey, it's right here. Psalm 81, 11. This was the truth with Israel as well. 
But my people do not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. And as you examine the scriptures throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again, God's people resisted and rejected his authority. Remember, he called them stiff-necked donkeys. In Judges 2, 10 to 16, right after Joshua dies, they come into the promised land. It starts in verse 10. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Lack of knowledge. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to their plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned, as the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. Verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. This is the sin cycle in the Old Testament, and it runs its course throughout history of Israel over and over and over again. Israel forgets and rejects God's truth. They turn to sin. This angers God. He sends judgment. They cry out in distress, and he raises up a leader, a deliverer. And they return to the Lord, and they submit to his authority. But we know ultimately, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Jesus fulfills all of this. He being the Son of God, he being the perfect and the final deliverer came and lived and died, receiving all of God's judgment because of sin upon himself. And after he died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the grave and he said what? All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Brothers and sisters, the church that Jesus is building is submitting together under his divine authority. So we ask ourselves, are we as the church? Are we as his body? Are we laying our lives down? Are we laying our perceived authority over our lives down and looking to the head of the body, Jesus Christ, and are we submitting to him? And are we submitting to him through the structure and the leadership of the church that God has been putting together? This leaves no room for autonomy. Christ like we've said before, he saves you from your sin, but he saves you to the church. He saves you to the body. And in that body, there is structure and there is leadership and there is authority. And we, we are to be submitting together to that. It's what he has been putting in place. There are many people today who are suspicious of the church, suspicious of leadership and obedience in the church, and they think it's just better to go and do their own thing. I don't need anyone leading me. But as they take this position, what they're really revealing is that they're, they're submitting to themselves and not to Christ. I don't know how that works at, at your workplace. 
let's say you're going to work and, and uh, you've got a, a job to do. Uh, your boss has given you some kind of instructions, but you say, I'm not doing that. I don't need to do that. I don't need to listen to you. I don't actually need a boss. I'm just going to do what I want to do. How does that work at church? How does that work in the family? You know, you got your, your little ones and uh, little rebels at times. What would it be without parents guiding them? It would be utter chaos. It would be tyranny. It would be anarchy. And people today are suspicious of the church and leadership. They think it's a man-made institution. It is not. It is God's divine hand. Even within the church, there are those who, who go to church every Sunday, who come week after week, and yet they don't submit to Christ the head. It's like the classic illustration of the mother telling her child to sit. And he finally, begrudgingly sits down, but he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. This happens more often in the church than we would like to admit. I come Sunday mornings, but I'm not interested in following the direction or the discipline of the leaders. Maybe you're not believing them. Maybe you don't think the Lord has put them in place for these things. Maybe you're not giving yourself to the opportunities that they are laying in front of you to, to worship the Lord. There's always further gospel transformation outside of just Sunday morning. Maybe you hear the words of Christ to go make disciples, but you say to your, yourself, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. Maybe a spiritual leader wants to care for your soul, but you just want to be left alone. You don't even want to talk to them. So if you're struggling this morning with authority and leadership and submission and obedience, remember, yes, some have abused this. The Lord will deal with them. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. The issue, again, is not authority. The issue is always sin. But the beauty is that God knows all of this, and by his good grace, that's why he sent himself. He knew that we couldn't free ourselves from our bondage to slavery, to sin, our bondage to self-love, self-idolatry, autonomy. He knows that at the heart that we are anti-authority. He knows that we don't want to be ruled. And so he rightfully sends his son, steps down off his throne, and humbles himself, and comes to earth, and lives for us, showing us he is the one who submits. He is the one who lays his life down. Philippians 2, 8 to 11, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me ask you, have you bowed the knee yet? Have you given up on your own authority? Are you bowing the knee right now to the Lord? You will bow the knee one day. 
But his goal for you by the power of his word and his spirit is that you would willingly bow and lay your life down for him right now. Are you standing up on the inside? 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the almighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. It begins with humbling yourself, crying out to the Lord for forgiveness of your self-idolatry, your autonomy, your sin, and understanding that I need to follow you. I need to follow Jesus Christ. So as you dig deep into your heart and, and... Think about what it means to to humble myself and to repent and to believe. As you examine all of that against the scriptures and you begin to see that authority is good, that authority is God's. And you begin to believe and understand that these are two critical aspects of my life that I need to engage. Then you begin to be in a better place now to understand the authority in the church. Authority is given. We submit together under delegated authority. Obey your leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders. Some are called to lead. Some are called to follow. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. And not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So when I was a kid, I was a a rambunctious boy in my family of three boys. I had a twin brother. I have a twin brother. And we also have an older brother, about a year and a half older than us. So if you can imagine three boys that close in age, it didn't take us too much to get into trouble. As I look back into my own life, I was thinking, how can I give an illustration about disobedience? You know, I used to think of myself as a pretty good kid. But yesterday I was going through just trying to think of some illustrations for this, and I was blown away by how bad I was. Disobedient. Disobedient to my parents. Our parents would give us rules, and we used to think that they were strict. But we would disobey those rules. As kids, we thought that our parents' rules were meant to keep us from having fun. We didn't believe that their rules were meant to keep us safe, to keep us from harm, to keep us from hurting each other or hurting others. We didn't know that those rules were meant to point us to God, that there is one who has authority over us. And as I grew up, there were many times when I disobeyed my parents and I went my own way. And as I look back, I think I nearly avoided disasters. I remember a neighbor chasing my brother and I down a road, infuriated because we thought, we thought that it was fun to break all his Christmas lights on the road. I remember my brother and I having the idea we're going to build a bomb and almost lighting the forest on fire behind our house. Direct disobedience to my father's instructions not to play with gas and matches. I remember a rifle going off in my friend's garage. My, my dad would tell us, if there, you see a gun, you don't touch it. We touched it. 
And I remember us getting caught driving my grandmother's car around town three years before we were legally allowed to drive. We were disobedient kids. We rejected the authority of our parents. We sinfully broke the rules. We were going our own way, and this was dangerous. At any moment, we could have seriously hurt ourselves or hurt somebody else. So when the author of Hebrews says that we need to obey and submit to our leaders, he says that our leaders are keeping watch over our souls. It's for our safety. It's for our good. When we look at the, the New Testament, we see that the Lord has given structure and authority and leadership inside the church for the health, for the safety, for the good of the church. So when the New Testament speaks of spiritual leadership in the church, it always speaks about elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers. It also speaks about deacons, and we'll talk about that a little bit next week. But our focus today is on elders, overseers, pastors, shepherds. We see that these are distinct titles, but yet they are used interchangeably to describe the same office of leadership. The office that God has given in his word, that, that godly men appointed by the Holy Spirit are to teach and lead and care for his church. In Acts 20 verse 28, Paul instructs the elders in Ephesus to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We see because Jesus' blood was poured out, and as the Holy Spirit has come, the Holy Spirit now puts leaders in the church. The word overseers really speaks of that watching over your soul. The word overseer comes from the Greek word episkopos, which really means guardian, someone who watches over. The word elder comes from the word presbyteros, and basically means someone that is older than somebody else, but in the context of the New Testament church, it means somebody who is older in the faith, somebody who is responsible in authority in the church. The word pastor comes from the word poimen. It's used more as a verb than a noun, which really is describing the function of elders and overseers, which is to shepherd God's people, like shepherding sheep, watching over souls. And so these titles are all used interchangeably to speak of one office, the office of elder, overseers, pastors. And as those men uh, are sought out within the body of Christ, we see that scripture outlines uh, how we are to find those men. 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 and Titus 1, 6-9. Elders are to be men of godly character. Men who lead and teach and care for the church, they desire to do that. These are men who are above reproach, which doesn't mean they're perfect. Men who have a verified character as witnessed throughout their marriages and in their homes and in the world and in the church. As we look at scripture, elders are always spoken of in the plural. The desire is never to have one. It's always to have more than one, that they are accountable to one another and accountable to the Lord. Right now in our church, you guys see me. 
right? But what you may not always know is that we do have elders overseeing the church from our North Church. Yes, they're not actively here on Sunday mornings, but they oversee what I am doing, and I'm in close contact uh, with them on a weekly basis about what's going on here. And our hope and our prayer is that God will raise up from among us elders who are spiritually qualified according to Scripture to come and lead the church. That's what Jesus does as he builds his church. He, he raises them up. Elders are God's design. God has determined that some should lead and that the rest should follow. This isn't something that we have made up. It's, it's an office given in Scripture according to the Bible in which God gives authority, and it is a delegated authority. And listen closely. This is not an authority that any elder will, should lord over anybody. This is a humble authority. It's not for the fame, nor for the power. It's not for praise. It's not an office that uh, we approach lightly. We approach it with reverence and fear. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. I've got to tell you, 12 years ago, I would never have seen myself becoming an elder in a church. Absolutely not. You can just ask my wife. I was, I was spiritually unqualified to be a pastor. I had much unrepentance and much sin and much unfaithful character. I wasn't even naturally a leader. I was a person that preferred to be in the background. I didn't want attention. In groups, I was often the quiet person. I never wanted to stand up and say anything to anybody. And even as God began to transform me, the thoughts of preaching and leading terrified me. But God began to work. He broke me. He convicted me deeply and brought repentance and faith into my life. He began to produce fruit in me and my desires were changing. And through much discipleship and training and then ultimately some testing of my character through a body of elders... I find myself here, still afraid, but trusting, not perfect, but growing, opening his word, teaching, leading, and shepherding, and knowing that I stand accountable to you, and knowing that I will be judged with a greater strictness, and that I am accountable to God for where you are. This is what Christ does. He builds his church. And as I look around at some of you men in our church, my desire is that Jesus is going to be beginning to do this in you. He's going to be continuing to, to bring repentance of faith in your life and to begin growing fruit and producing character in you in that one day you can join me as an elder of this church and we can follow what has been prescribed and described in Scripture together for the glory of God as we humbly watch over souls together. That's what God has designed. So as the text calls us to submit and obey, we need to do this willingly. Nobody's forcing anything upon anyone here. This has to be a work of the Lord in you and in me by his spirit, by his word. 
As we grow in our love for Jesus all the more, as he becomes the satisfaction and the joy of our hearts, as you study what God has designed, submission and authority should just be the supernatural overflow of your heart. As you're fully submitting to the grace and the love of Jesus, walking in his footsteps, looking at what he done, his perfect model of humility and submission to the will of the Father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. As you willingly place yourselves under the direction of what God has put together, it encourages your leaders so that they would do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Nobody wants a harsh taskmaster. And so as we devote ourselves to each other, as we devote ourselves to the body of Christ, as we've been studying what it means to the church, we see submission has to be there as well. As I submit to the Lord, as I submit to other elders, as we submit to one another, as you submit to your leaders, this is a picture of harmony in the body of Christ. It's a picture of what God has put together. And so as we think about our hearts and we think about our natural tendency to resist and to reject authority, as we, we naturally don't want to submit, it may be an area in our life that we need to repent of and trust and grow in all the more. As we see God working in this church, as he begins to produce fruit, as men are rising up, that's one of the reasons that men, my focus on men here and to minister to men is strong because we want to equip the church for the work of ministry and it begins with the men. As the men goes, so goes the church. And so you as men, I call on you directly, boldly to lead your families, to lead them here, to lead yourself to the Lord, to show them what it means to submit and follow Christ together in his church and allow God to be working on you because a healthy church is a church where spiritually qualified, humble, God-glorifying men are leading the church. And so as we move on to next week, we're going we're to be talking about what we're going to be committing to as a church. So as a church, we submit together to what the Lord has put together. And now as we move towards membership in the church, we're going to commit together. We're going to covenant together for what it means to be a part of this body. And like I said, we want to be a church that is healthy, that is growing spiritually, that is growing in number. And that comes through people that are sold out, submitted so in love with Jesus Christ, so full of the joy and satisfaction that comes only through him that we would do in nothing else, that we couldn't help ourselves, that we get to be a part of what he is doing. And so I call on you by the power of the Holy Spirit as revealed through his word to lay your authority down. Lay it down. It's not yours. It's all his. Trust him in all of that. Authority is good. We submit together under patterned authority. Authority is God's. We submit together under divine authority. Authority is given. We submit together under delegated authority. Let's pray.